Hey guys, before we get started, just our usual disclaimer that the opinions in this episode are solely those of the Get Wired podcast host and or guests, and may or may not reflect that of the parent company, CED Consolidated Electrical Distributors, or our sponsors. So speaking of sponsors, we had a great week this week with uh, Goring Cocker McCoy. They sponsored the Friday barbecue at CED Vero Beach, bringing out a nice array of public subs, a couple brownies, some, you know, all sorts of different desserts. It was really just uh, an awesome time. It's good to see Faye out there. Thanks, Faye, for coming out. And, uh, you know, always good to interact with people at the counter and, and get to know people better. Right now, they're offering thermal imaging for uh, seeing heat in a variety of applications, whether it's circuit breakers or fan loads or, you know, it's just a cool toy to have, really. You get to see thermal imaging. It's like being the predator for a little bit. So definitely check out FLIR.com. That's F-L-I-R or Goran Cocker McCoy. Or just come by CED Vero Beach and check it out. Welcome to the Get Wired Podcast, presented by CED Vero Beach. Join us as we make new connections, share our outlooks on business as well as life, and provide a new look at the wholesale electrical supply industry from the inside out. This is the Get Wired Podcast. Here's your host, Mike Burkhart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Burkhart. Thanks for listening to the Get Wired Podcast. We've got a special guest today. His name is Jason Sample. He's a PC manager out of Texas. Let's jump right in. How are things in Texas, man? You're in uh, what part of Texas? Houston. Houston? Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's awesome, man. And we've been killing it, really. Uh, not killing it. We've been, we've been doing okay. <laughs> yeah? What do you... Yeah. Uh, like, growing every year, or just, like, have you been there for a long time, or...? Uh, five years. Yeah. Oh, it's your first PC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Me we, too. Uh, you know, we've grown a little. We've grown profit. Uh, we had one dip year, and then we're this year we're up probably uh, twenty five or thirty percent sales wise, and up twenty percent gross profit wise. And we've hired some new people, so we're not really up, you know, profit wise, but. You yeah, get, we're heading in the right. Yeah, you're getting there. That's all that matters is you're heading in the right direction, right? That's that's what it's all about. How, how many people you got right now? Uh, I've got five uh, employees, a temp, and then a guy, a temp that works at half day. So I got six and a half guys. Okay, yeah, we're right about the same, man. We uh we have five full time employees. Myself, uh, trainee. We're about to get another trainee right when he phases out. Uh, three part time employees. And yeah. So well, I've got. I've got a uh, a trainee that's in the same phase that Taylor's in, and then I've got a uh, uh, an intern right now. I don't I don't really count the intern though. <laughs> is it like an official intern? Yeah, like a summer intern, man. We this is the second one we've had. The first one worked out okay, but this guy's actually working out really well. Yeah, it's like a like to do the training program and all that. Yeah, uh, John Reinig hired him. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm bringing on a uh, social media intern for the summer. He can only work uh, July and, and through August, actually. But it's actually kind of perfect. It's like no risk. You know, if it doesn't work out, if it really sucks, then it's kind of whatever, 30 hours a week yeah. or something like that. If, if it does work out, you you know, off from something to go further. Like th- this guy we have this time, uh, I'd like to – he works – or he goes to school about 30 minutes north of us, and uh, I'd like to – see if we can find a part-time position for him because I like him so much Yeah, just to keep him kind of company. That's important, man, because a lot of times they will go back to school and get, get caught up in things and then they're just, they're gone. You know, they're on to something else. Yeah, 
they get other offers or, or whatever, you know. Better offers, perhaps. <laughs> that definitely happens too. Um, yeah, but uh, that's cool, man. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you guys are doing well. And, and how many people were there when you first started? Uh, so we had uh, we had a, I guess the same. I guess there was six people with me uh, when we started, and we've actually. So we had a, a paperwork person who, when she quit, we didn't fill her position. We actually uh, con- kind of contract out our paperwork now to, to the big location down in Houston. So we pay them to do most of our paperwork. Uh, and then so we replaced her with uh, basically another inside salesperson. And then uh, our warehouse has kind of pretty much stayed the same. We've had some people come and go. So when you say you outsource your paperwork, what do you mean by that? How does that work? Well, we actually have, so all of our stock POs, all of our re- uh, releasing of registers, all of that stuff, uh, we send down to Houston. We receive it here and then send the yellows and the receivers to Houston to, uh, they receive it in the computer, pay it, uh, and they also release our registers for us. Wow. And, you know, it's something where we had a, 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 uh, accounts payable clerk and he's working 40 hours a week doing a 20 hour a week job and, and yeah. figured that was probably a place where we could save a little bit of money uh and really i think it's really worked out pretty well for us that's an amazing idea man so you're saying that you outsource your paperwork and that works out well pretty well for both pcs absolutely and we've had at one point they were i don't know if they still are but at one point they were doing multiple other pcs uh i don't know what what the situation is now. I heard one of them had dropped out, but uh, for me, it's $750 a month. And, and as opposed to paying whatever I have to pay an accounts payable person uh, plus benefits and all that. So it's well worth it. Yeah. That's well worth it. Seven fifty a month is nothing. Yeah. And, and it's somebody that she wasn't super experienced when she started, but with the volume that CD Houston runs, she gets experienced real quick and she, you know, she keeps up a whole lot better than we would just as salesman or whatever. So who is, uh, who's going over the input verification? Are you still looking at that on your screen? So we, we don't actually send the registers down. We'll, uh, scan the registers in. She'll release them, ask, ask us any questions and then say, okay, put verification. And then we'll print the input verification and I'll check it registers, uh, when uh when she's done releasing them all wow that's interesting it's worked for both yeah. yeah but the big deal is is stock you know all the stock po's and all that stuff letting her deal with uh pricing discrepancies and all that stuff and and hashing through all that stuff that if we were doing it as salesmen or as me as a manager we might not invest as much time into making sure it's done right uh you yeah. know she'll she'll have down and make sure it's done correctly man that is very interesting i agree that it is probably not a full-time job you know i personally have a 20 20 to 30 usually 25 hour a week person come in and do the, the daily paperwork and then i also have an outsourced uh, contractor type employee that i can use who comes in on the weekends and helps out with like you know monthly reconciliations and also does my inventory reconciliation you know things of that nature i, I it's just a huge value add to us because when they come in, they are very focused on their specific tasks, and then they go home. And there's there's really no lollygagging, things like that. But that's really interesting. Outsourcing your paperwork never would have thought of that. I'm kind of envious of you. I just just got done with my inventory recon. Yeah. Uh, 
or it may go to a special inventory kind of thing, you know. Well, do they do specials if you're up? I don't know. Two uh, years in a I've row. I've never been up and down. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think usually they want you within 2% either way if it's possible, you know. So. That, that's not going to happen this year. Uh, you know, I, I hope that <laughs> – I love our guys at Internal Automation. They can come here anytime and do a, you know, a operational or a special inventory, whatever it takes. But yeah. I mean, they're on our side, hundred percent. So, well, I, I just well, want to get I, it right and figure it out. I think it comes down to you and you and your boss, what y'all decide. I, I think Internal Audit's okay either way. Right. Yeah. Last year we were up five and a half percent, and they withheld it. Of course, the year before when we were at like four point nine, they took it. Um, and then this year I'm supposed to get that money back plus this, you know, and this is a whole new situation. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, man. It's just one of those things we deal with as, as PC managers, you're supposed to be out there selling stuff all day long and then also have to worry about collecting the money, making sure the inventory is right, making sure the paperwork is being processed. And I have to admit, I think the outsourcing the paperwork thing is a really good idea, but do you ever find yourself in situations where you wish the person were there so you could ask them questions live or you know, show them documents right there on the spot? Yeah, you you, you do get that from time to time. Uh, I think it depends on the, the person you have doing the paperwork. We had uh, one person doing it, and she did an okay job, but the uh, young lady that's doing it now does an amazing job, and she is yeah. she's diligent, stays on top of, of our stuff, and usually if paperwork goes missing so so the way we do it is we send a packet down uh we drive past the other ced every morning taking deliveries uh places so we'll take it and drop it off uh, once a day and pick up the the packet coming back and usually if stuff goes missing it's because we screwed it up in some way or another right i so, can i can see that yeah she she's she's very diligent very detail-oriented and stays on top of it it's it's all the sales <laughs> managers that, that tend to screw everything up yeah i could definitely see that um so you've been there for five years you you guys are moving in the right direction uh what do you think you're doing that that is allowing your your profit center to move in that direction and to keep growing and getting more and more robust well i think uh we're in a kind of a, a bit of a strange market with with houston being 30 miles away it's you know it's Nothing too crazy, but we've got a bunch of very large distributors. Uh, for instance, CD Houston's a dollar distributor, give or take. Right. Uh, and we are doing dollars, so we have we have trouble doing things like colored wire and and stacked reels and things like that, where we just can't afford to have that inventory, where we'll lose out. But the things we do better are dealing with smaller customers. You know, dealing with the the five to twenty electrician customers and we focus on them and make sure that we're taking care of them you know around every corner whereas the bigger guys it's just very difficult for them to be to service a small account because they've got these 20 million dollar contractors that they're dealing with well i think because they're so big they may lose sight of the you know the 10 or under the the classic uh chunk slamming one guy and two helpers or sometimes it's just him by himself and maybe a helper every once in a while those kind of guys yeah those those guys are you know it's it's hard for a million dollar uh, location to get excited about three or four hundred thousand dollars worth of business, but that for us can be you know a big increase. And so we do things. Uh, we'll do uh, job takeoffs. We'll take off lighting fixtures. So if you send us the drawings, we'll we'll do all the lighting fixture takeoffs and uh, 
uh, gear and, and floor boxes. And if you want us to count switches, we'll do all those things that hmm. a lot of the, the zero to 10 electrician guys, the guys that are the owners are out in the field, yeah. you know, pulling wire. They, they don't, they're either coming home at night and doing that, or they're not, you know, they just don't have time to do it. So it's, it's something that we can help them out with. That's interesting. So do you do those takeoff yourselves or do you have a dedicated person in your office that handles it for everybody or how does that work? Uh, the inside guys do it or I do it. Uh, I, I do it for my customers and then uh, yeah. the inside guys do it for their customers. And uh, it's, it's something that we found in, in our market. There is some risk involved because if you miss fixtures, you know, you kind of, uh, you kind of got to eat them cause it's, it's pretty much a guaranteed bill of material. But it's 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 an advantage that we have that the other distributors in town don't do. I think it definitely varies market to market. You know, here in Vero, we do the gear takeoff, but oftentimes they'll do their own lighting counts. And it's amazing how much they differ between contractor to contractor. And as far as the miscellaneous stuff goes, I mean, a lot of times we don't even quote the miscellaneous. They already either have that priced or they are just kind of winging it, you know. At least that's what it seems like. Uh, do you feel like because you're doing the takeoff that you're able to charge a little bit more of a premium for the service of doing that on top of the goods? Or how do you how do you factor that out and justify the, the time expense there? Or is it just a huge value add for you guys so, so that the contractor doesn't have to worry about it and they can know that you're going to get it right and take care of them no matter what? Well, it's not really charging more so much as uh, I think you get a little bit of exclusivity mm-hmm. uh, because if you're doing the takeoff and you've got the fixture counts. It's, it's not like you can send it out to 19 distributors, uh, and all that. We don't really charge more because at the end of the day, if our fixture number's high, that's, that's, there's a good chance that that's going to get them, uh, to lose a job. So, so we still have to be competitive with price. Right. I think we can make a more, but, but I don't think there's really just a killing, but I think it really puts us in a position where we're in the driver's seat on a lot of jobs. And that opens the door for, for better miscellaneous orders and things of that nature. I mean, I would think they would, it would have to build a relationship and put you guys in a power position because you're going to take ownership when it goes wrong and say like, hey, you know, yeah, you trusted me to do it and we messed it up and we're going to make it right. And that just, even in those instances where things are going wrong, that's actually where you can build an even stronger relationship. And, you know, exclusivity is huge. That's what this whole business is all about. Well, you can, if, if you're going to do that, you're going to offer these build materials, you it, it c- comes with the territory. If you're over on fixtures, you know, you're going to keep the money, but if you're short on fixtures, you're going to be eating that. So it's, it's just part of it. You can't say, well, you owe me extra money when you, you quoted it with your bill of material. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, we don't, we definitely don't do that here, but you know, I find that people have different counts across the board all the time for the same bill of material. You know, it's kind of crazy. It's like someone's got 45 A's and you know, 15 B's and the other guy's got 42 and 18, you know? So yeah, yeah. Takes a lot of time too, right? I mean, that... uh, as far as takeoffs go, depending on the size, you can usually knock them out pretty quick. I do a lot of hotels, and they have a lot of linear lighting, and that tends to uh, to take a little more time because it'll be in shelving, and you got to dig into the architecturals and find all the different runs. And so it, that does take a little while. But if you're talking about lay-in fixtures in a retail outfit you know recess cans in a house yeah yeah it's it's nothing it's you know talking 10 or 15 minutes out of your day to, to do a quick takeoff it's not a bad idea never even considered that huh interesting so switching gears just a little bit how do you know what success looks like to you like when you're on the right track how do you know what that looks like and how do you set the 
terms and the goals for your team in order so that they're aware of when they're on the right track and doing the right things? Well, uh, you know, in, in our, uh, in our business model is profit sharing. So if our profit sharing is more than it was last year, then we did a good job. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's just kind of how I've always looked at it. And we, we've done a good job of growing profit sharing through, you know, becoming more efficient and, and all that. But, uh, I think, you know, as a general rule, we want to keep up with the market. We don't want to, you know, profit sharing can't completely rule what you do. You want to be growing with the market or hopefully outpacing the market. Uh, and, you know, to me, taking care of the customers and making sure that the customers understand uh, that they're our number one priority and hopefully – uh, becoming our good customers number one priority uh, is, is success to me you know yeah uh, our number one customer we do 75 to 80 percent of his business uh, and it's one of those relationships where it's actually a partnership when there's times that I can make money they allow me to make money when there's times where I have to be tight on a job you know I have to be tight on the job it, it just is what it is uh, or if you know, if, if we really need to help out and lose money or whatever we need to do, it's truly a partnership. And at the end of the day, you know, we come out doing well uh, on both both ends, I think. I think you touched on something really important there, man, because, you know, we do most of our business with just a few customers. That's just how most businesses are, you know, the whole 80-20 principle. And so to really dig in there and to become a partner in their businesses, that's that's huge. And it's 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 going beyond just having electrical supplies on your shelf, and you're becoming a real added value partner in their business. Like I said, be willing to lose money sometimes, and letting them know, like, hey, man, I I understand you're in a bad place, and especially especially if you you created it. But if you can <laughs> fix a problem, fix a problem that they created, that doesn't hurt either. Sometimes that's even better, right? It's like, yeah, oh, absolutely. When they come to you and they're like, hey, I screwed up, and you're like, well, I'll fix it anyway. you know, no problem. Yeah, we had a. Uh, I literally, with my my number one cousin, cut off the phone morning on a deal where we're going to eat two thousand dollars on something that you know I think we have twelve hundred dollars worth of profit in, and it's just it's just one of those things where it doesn't feel right to to make him pay the extra two thousand, and the the vendor's not giving giving up the money, so we're just going to eat it, you know, just because we don't want any any strain on the relationship because it's something stupid, so stupid as two thousand dollars. Unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens all the time where people dig in and then the egos get involved. In fact, when I first moved here, my biggest customer right now didn't have their SPA with us, their Square D SPA. And it was because the previous manager dug his feet in on a $250 breaker that was special ordered and they no longer needed. And the customer got upset. You know, when things were said, they couldn't be unsaid kind of a thing. And they ended up taking their SPA and moving it to a different distributor along with all the rest of their business, you know. And so... We it's sometimes you have really have to look at the big picture and like you know what's the overall what's the overall value of this customer on a long enough timeline, not just one order. It's never about just one order. We blow two hundred fifty dollars on stupid stuff all the time. It's not really <laughs> bigger feed in on. That's a good point. I mean, we spend two hundred fifty dollars on sometimes ridiculous things that never pan out. So to lose the whole customer's business over it is obviously pretty insane. You gotta look at the big picture here. Uh, you know, speaking of value-added services, do you guys do anything for customers or to show appreciation to the local market? Like, do you guys throw events or have any sort of, you know, after after work activities or counter days, that kind of stuff? We've done a few different promos. Actually, right now we're doing one with uh, Capital Marketing Group, uh, where it's 
basically a six month promotion and you it's it's so there's a baseline set over your previous six month sales and if you go over by a certain amount uh, you can qualify for different trips so it basically starts at like a hundred dollar trip at a motel six but then it can go up to you know a ten thousand dollar trip to hawaii or whatever depending on how much more you purchase over the the previous six months we're seeing a lot of success with that we've already sent somebody to uh or we're already going to send somebody to napa valley for like a wine trip or something like that oh awesome uh, yeah so they had about a three hundred three hundred thousand dollar increase in sales over over their previous six months i'm familiar with capital marketing yeah actually they're they're a florida-based company so they they push pretty hard on the ceds here locally and, uh, you know, it's all about finding the right customer. I've told a few people about it and they were receptive to it. I haven't told others about it. And obviously counties and utilities and, you know, local, anything government type related, they can't participate. And, and some of these bigger contractors, you know, only the owner would get it. So the people you might be talking to aren't necessarily incentivized to participate. We've, uh, you, you know, we've, I've always wanted to do something like that before, Yeah, but I always I didn't want to have to deal with the setting the actual trips up. And, and so when they came to us and they're like, you know, you just track the numbers, you track the dollars and then whatever, whatever level they make, we'll deal with the trip. I was like, man, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. I did the math and I think it comes out to about 2%. So it's, it's kind of like doubling their cash discount. If they already take that, then, you know, you're losing 4%, uh, just as a cost of doing business. But if you can get an extra hundred grand out of somebody that, uh, that would be spending it elsewhere, and that's that's really what it's all about, you know, is 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 letting them know, like, hey, Mr. Customer, I'm not asking you to spend any more money than you normally would throughout the course of this year. I just want you to spend it over here instead of with anybody else. And and here's a program that'll give you some money back, put some money in your pocket. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, you're, you're spending that money either way. Yeah, we'll come spend trip out of it. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, they're going to spend this money either way. And at the end of the day, everyone's got electrical products, so basically the same products on their shelves or can have access to them. Everyone's got the same, essentially the same pricing, give or take a few percentage. And so what's the differentiating factor there? It's uh, it's service, right? It's got to be the personnel. It's got to be the people. It's got to be everything you offer that's not sitting on the shelf. Everything that's not an electrical supply that you're selling is what you're really selling to the customer. There's just not a lot of differentiating factors. Yeah, I think uh, service, uh, the relationship. Uh, I spend, uh, or our guys, I like my guys to, uh, it's me and one other outside salesman, uh, to spend time at job sites doing job walks and, and, you know, not only spending time with the project managers in the office, but also spending time with the electricians in the field. Yeah. Uh, I think that's important in terms of uh, building relationships that are deeper than just those two guys that are, that are doing quotes and it's all price-based. You know, I think when you have a relationship with the guys in the field, uh, they can feel more comfortable to call you about getting help on on certain things. So we always spend a lot of time going out and visiting job sites and things of that nature. Yeah. So you have five employees, and you you and you and one guy are out of sales. Yeah, he's actually a uh, inside outside. He does his own inside sales nice. uh, and he also outside sales. Is he a salary plus commission or profit sharing and or? He, he's a salary plus profit sharing. Yeah. Uh, right actually i think in the process of uh, moving them over to commission uh we're gonna obviously stagger it but uh, yeah. slowly get them over to commission oh wow i thought the trend was quite the opposite that people were trying to get away from commission and get out new outside salespeople on uh, salary plus profit sharing what do you think about that y- you know uh 
think there's ways to look at it, but uh, from a manager standpoint, when you're when your salary is largely based on profit sharing, I think uh, having commission salesmen uh, helps your profit sharing because you know there's that's a smaller portion uh, of your salaries that's that's coming out of profit sharing. Yeah. But I think if I don't think I don't know that the industry standard of just paying. X amount of commission and that's all you get and it's based on your complete sales or your complete gross profit. I don't know that that's necessarily the right route either. I think if you tailor tailor the commission structures to, to what you want the outside salesman to do, I think it can be very beneficial for everybody. Hmm. Maybe offer some sort of incentive program based on a customer like, hey, get this person from here to there and then, you know, you get X amount of dollars, that sort of thing. Yeah. If you did more commission or a higher commission percentage for customers, you know, that aren't that historically haven't done a lot of business with us, uh, whereas, you know, instead of just giving him X amount for the guy that's bought 800,000 every year for the past 10 years and we just we just hand them. So we're basically handing them that whatever amount of money is made off of that. Yeah. Uh, just incentivizing them to go out and and create new business and get new customers. Are we able to tailor the commission level to by, by customer? I didn't know, didn't know that was a thing. I think you, do. you can get as creative as you want. Huh. Uh, it's just a matter of, of uh, sending the information at the end of the month. Right. Yeah, you can, so basically, we, you can basically say pay this person X amount of dollars regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, or, you know, even – I guess it can be even as, as – as creative as we're going to pay a higher commission on lighting versus gear or something like that, that to, to try to drive products that we don't traditionally outside salesmen don't traditionally push, you know, safety, safety wear or something like that. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that opens up a whole realm of creativity as far as what your, what your outside sales guys will bring your customers. And that's, you know, customers need that. They need us to bring them new stuff because they're so busy running their business. They don't always know what the new products are. They could really save them some time and add some value. Absolutely, and and not walking in every day and going, well, what job I bidding? Yeah. Yeah. Picture and gear. I look on that one job. You know, you actually take something to them uh, that that you know you're a little more memorable memorable than the uh, other four guys that walked in that morning and brought donuts. Right. I mean, that's actually something I struggle with quite a bit. Is uh, is they expect you to bring donuts, and I hate being the donut guy. And once you do it once or twice, and you stop doing it, they're like, hey, man, where are my donuts? You know, and it's like, man, am I just here to bring you some sugary pastries in the morning? Or am I here to actually like help you move your business? Where yep. am I? So we're both about five years outside of the management training program. And I think that, you know, I'd like to believe anyways that trainees are going to listen to this podcast. And, you know, they're already listening to podcasts and things of that nature. And they need the perspective of people like us who have been in the, in the trenches, you know, five years out looking back. What advice would you have for somebody coming right out of the program or somebody's about to be out of the program? Like, what do they really need to know? What do they need to focus on? Uh, what are some lessons that you've learned that you would like to pass down? Well, I did a pretty good job, so I'm kind of proud of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if there's, there's any advice, uh, I think if there's any advice that I could give trainees and uh, really with the generation that's kind of coming in right now, uh, uh, they tend to be less social and and they tend to have not had a work background so it's kind of hard when you come into your first job if if in the training program is your first job it's kind of hard to know what you're supposed to be doing but i i think as a general rule i always tell my trainees if 
if you have nothing going on, if you haven't been given something or uh, had something given to you by somebody, then you need to go find somebody and learn something, talk to them, try to understand the process. Uh, don't get caught up in the day-to-day. -day. That, that tends to happen a lot. But just constantly be trying to learn uh, because once you're handed the keys, you know, if you didn't learn in the training program, now you're learning it uh, when it's not free, you know? Right. When it's live. It's, yeah, uh... so it's a real-life scenario, and, and now you're learning on the job. So uh, that can make it difficult. You know, you mentioned something just there about uh, about getting bogged down in the minutia and, and the detail of the day and just, just being busy all day long. And, you know, my store has been through a lot of changes. It, it was always a small store. When I got here, there were three people. You know, we got up to five, ended up having to replace four of them within a couple months due to different reasons. Um, so there, were, there was a good period of time there where customers got used to me doing everything, and they still come to me to do a lot of stuff, you know, order small parts and um, you know, I was doing the purchasing, the counter sales, the receiving in the warehouse. Sometimes I was doing everything and I'm just now at a place where I'm trying to develop that space, get a little room between me and the customers so I can breathe, so I can put my head up, so I can look around and kind of decide like where we're going to go as a company and an organization. Is that something that you think about? Do you set aside time so that you can plan and stage and, and kind of have a vision for where you guys are going? So what I've been doing lately is I've got a giant whiteboard in my office and, uh, anytime I come up with an idea, I write it, I've got a sectioned off area i write it on that whiteboard uh and then at least it's staring at me every morning when i walk in so i can think about it and try to figure out you know if it's a problem how to solve the problem if it's an idea how to imp implement the idea but I, i'm i'm the same as you actually right now uh w one of our counter inside sales guys is so new he's you can't really give them a whole lot of stuff. So we're actually, I'm doing my own inside sales. So I'm as, as bogged down as ever uh, right now until we get, until we get the, the staff kind of trained up where we want them to be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to, if, if you're not thinking about the future or thinking about, uh, you know, things that need to be done inside the warehouse. And if you're just kind of st sticking with the status quo, you're falling behind in, in this industry. Yeah, you know, like I said, there's definitely enough to keep you busy. If you just stare at your email and answer the phones as they come in every day, you're going to be busy all day long, and you may even feel good doing it, you know? You're going to be accomplishing what feels like a lot of, of tasks, and you're going to feel like you're helping the store out and all those things, but, you know, is it the best thing for you to be doing as a manager? Is it the best thing for you to be doing as the leader of this organization that, that you're you're doing all the little things? You know, sometimes the right thing to do is to focus on the business and not focus so much working in the business, you know, and, and there's a big perspective shift there. You know, I've got forecasts coming up in a little bit. We actually have our first uh, pre-forecast meeting coming up in August. And it's like, man, has it already been a year? And and what have I done to accomplish my goals? I mean, that's have I had enough time to put my head up and kind of look around to see, like, are we on the right track? I think it's I try to and I, I, I get caught not doing this, but I try to pull up my previous year's forecast every couple months and look at the goals that I set and, and yeah. kind of look at it and say, what, what am I doing to achieve those goals? Uh, it, it's, it's should be forecast should be much more about more than just, uh, writing bullet points on a, on a, a goal sheet. It should be actually what you're trying to, to, you know, work towards and actually setting a path to do that. I think uh, I think a lot of us are guilty. I've certainly been guilty of it in the past of just seeing it as an exercise, something you have to do in order to get back to you know the daily life, something that you just have to get off your plate in order to come back to just 
you know, doing quotes or whatever it is that keeps you busy and, and all year round. But if you look at it as what it's meant to be, as a way for you to, to, to be strategic and to plan and to, to have a vision, to like literally put a vision out there into the universe of like, hey, here's what we're going to do, guys. And then to be held accountable for it. I mean, you know, just as an example of, of how to use it throughout the year, I actually have, uh, I do these sort these meetings with my employees, actually in this conference room that we're sitting in right now. And, um, well, you're virtually sitting in my conference room right now. And we do them about every two months, certainly every quarter, we get together and just like go over some numbers, go over some goals, some ideas, some, some, some new things that are happening, just touch base with everybody. And, and they want to know, you know, I put my forecast goals up there and they want to know like, Hey, where are we at? Are we doing the right things? Is there anything we could be doing better? Is there anything that we could do to, uh, to improve the efficiency of the store? And I think it's important because it, it holds me accountable. It gets them to buy in on what my goals are. And then I, I have some goals for them as well. You know, it makes everybody kind of on the same page. Yeah, we, we uh, I'm not as good about having meetings uh, as I should be, but right after forecast, we did the same thing. We sat down and I showed them my, my forecast sheet and said, this is this is kind of what the goals we're looking for. This is what we're anticipating. That way, you know, everybody here knows what direction we're heading or what direction we want to be heading in. Yeah. And I'll, a lot of managers frown on this, but I'll show, I show them the P&L and, and kind of show them where we're at for the year so that at the end of the year when if, if we're having a bad year or whatever they're not surprised at the end of the year when you know profit sharing's up or profit sharing's down or anything like that they kind of already know i think transparency is really important but i also think it's 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 kind of tricky because you know people are always doing the math so at these meetings when i'm saying that we're up 10 percent in profit sharing we're up 10 percent in sales people are thinking oh well, i made x last year so now i'm going to make x plus 10 percent this year and they're not factoring in all the extra costs and, you know, the extra personnel or things that have happened behind the scenes, you know? It, so it is kind of a tricky game. Or, well, uh, you know, right now we're, uh, our profit center has always, not always, but we've been around GP or so, uh, you know, up or down 80 month in and month out. So, and we're still doing that amount, but we've got a bigger head count. We've, we've made some investments and, vehicles and stuff like that uh and with the capital marketing program we spent some money with that so our net profit is actually kind of still flat even though our numbers may be up so my employees are sitting here going well we're having a great year whereas our gp is is still our uh, profit sharing is still very similar uh to what it was last year so uh in that aspect i want to show them the pnl and just say hey look you know we're doing great but our expenses are up too. So, you know, we're, we're still kind of tracking just a little bit ahead of last year. Yeah. I think it's so important that people are bought into it, that they have the feel that they have an impact on the store. And, you know, one thing I did is I bought a, I went on fathead.com and bought one of those oversized like fundraising type uh, thermometers. It says goals on it, you know, and I, I put different markers that indicate different things. And, um, you know, I turned the camera, but there's so many connections. I don't want to mess anything up. But basically, you know, I, I go up there every month and I try, I fill in what we did and, you know, everyone knows what the end goal is. I don't want to say it on, on the podcast, but, uh, you know, it, it's very, it's a visual tool that they can use. You know, everyone's up here at least once a day for various reasons. It's, it's the lunchroom, it's the conference room, it's the lunch and learn training room, it's the podcast studio. Uh, you know, people are up here all the time. So they see it as a visual representation of like, oh yeah, we are on the right track. Awesome. Here we go. We just finished up June. We just finished up May, and we actually finished with what, what I proposed we'd be done in June. So we're actually a month ahead of schedule, which is pretty awesome uh, for sales. And, and 
you know, we focus on sales just because it's very easily relatable. It's nice to have a big number there to say you're an X million dollar a year store, but you could be up in sales. And as you well know, you could be up in sales and, and losing money overall, or uh, you could be up in sales and, and completely flat. There's so many other variations to, to what actually comes out in the, in the profit sharing equation, you know, so it just sales is a nice target, but it's not always the end result. You know, I don't want to be, I don't even really care how many sales we do. Because although that's a pretty good indicator, it's not the end all be all. So people go out there and say they want to be a, a million dollar salesperson. Well, what does that mean? How much money are you actually making off that million dollars? That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And our sales are up a significant amount, but our GP percentage is down uh, four four points. So, you know, that factors into it too. You know, you're, you, you're, you're not putting uh, as much to, uh, to GP. Uh, dollar for dollar then then you know you'll you may think you're killing it and you're not you're just not killing it as much what do you think it is that's causing it to be down you think it's uh it's well, we had, at the beginning of this year we had i think thousand dollars worth of generators sold and generators yeah you know make very little margin so yeah that's kind of help drag our margin down hmm. it's slowly recovering and that's the funny thing about the numbers, you know, is, is there always is a story behind it. And we sometimes as managers may know the story of like, oh, we were up this time last year, but we also had this huge sale that came in through stock when it really shouldn't have. It should have been a direct. And so that lowered your overall percentages. And so like we kind of know it, but somebody from the outside looking in or, you know, especially at forecast, things of that nature, they're only seeing the hard numbers without the story there. And that can make it really difficult to to kind of follow along without being aware of the entire details of what's going on behind the scenes. Sometimes feels abstract sometimes. Yeah. And it's hard to explain to other people, like, especially when you go to these, these forecast meetings or, and you're putting your PL up there and talking about, um, especially so, when you're sweating and nervous and the <laughs> company's there. <laughs> yeah. I've been in some awkward, uh, forecast meetings, like not even the pre forecast, the actual one where we lent somebody too much money and you know, it was just, it was just very awkward. It didn't have any collateral. The stuff got shipped overseas. It was just like, <laughs> and I got paid the week after. And I went, in, I went to these guys and I begged them. I was like, listen, I got this meeting. I told them who was going to be there. I was like, if there's any way you guys could find this money and pay me. And, or it just, would really help if you could do that. Yeah. I was like, you guys are making me look really bad. And I did everything I could to help you win this order and all that stuff. And, you, and they're just like, sorry, man, we're, you're totally screwed. And it's, <laughs> so, so part of the reason I'm doing, I'm doing the show is to get like, I think that we're kind of disconnected from a lot of other profit centers and, uh, and there's 600 something locations, but we rarely talk to anybody outside of our division and certainly outside of our region. Um, so I'm always looking for ideas or like different opinions about, you know, where, where people think the industry is going, what the future of electrical distribution is and, and kind of how to prepare the next generation of managers or even, even prepare myself for the next five years. Um, after, especially after this year with the crazy retail environment that we're facing, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, <laughs> Amazon, we heard a couple of years ago that Amazon was kind of looking to get into the electrical distribution world. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we've really seen a whole lot of it yet. Uh, I, certainly we haven't, uh, but I think there's, I think there may on the miscellaneous side, uh, on, on the commodities and things like that, they, that may be something they can, they can play well, especially if they get same day delivery straightened out and, and all their markets. Yeah. But, uh, I think it'll, there'll be some, some 
some barriers to entry in terms of uh, job quotes and fixtures and gear and things like that because how can they really quote gear? They don't they don't represent a gear line necessarily. How and and yeah. is a lot going to be more willing to give Amazon a price on something as opposed to somebody that's been in the market for forty five or fifty years like we have? Right. Uh, so I think I think there's some barriers there. Uh, certainly, they could. If they wanted to sell wiring devices, they could probably find a way to, to sell wiring devices and, and be profitable at it. But do you think uh, our customer base is, is ready to uh, to make that change to, to already online? Because we obviously have a, a website and shop CD, but nobody uses it. Yeah, we we have on our uh, e-commerce site, we have zero traffic through it. Uh, I yeah. think the most traffic is... Uh, they actually have a pretty good search function, so I go on there and, and use the search search function quite a bit if I want to get spec sheets. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> but but I, I think as a general rule, we, we've had people that we thought would be really good on e-commerce because they, they make orders, and it's the same order over and over and over. So we, we told them, hey, you know, let's set up a template, and then you can go in, plug the quantities in, and hit enter, and it's you know it, it goes straight through. There's no lost in translation issues or anything like that and it just never took off i think as a general rule people want to either email it to somebody they know or call it in and and the industry i i, I feel will probably be pretty slow uh, to change to that I actually talked to a customer the other day that doesn't even have an email address so <laughs> but <laughs> let me dust off the fax machine hang on yeah exactly so one thing that's going to be really interesting to see is this whole Internet of Things movement that we're, we're st- starting to roll out. Amazon's coming out with those buttons you put everywhere that when you're out of something, you just push the button and it automatically reorders it. Uh, you know, another application would be like your toothpaste has a little chip inside that knows when it's about to be out or the case of beer that you have in the fridge is, is it's it knows how many you drink a night and whether it's beer or soda, whatever. And when it gets down to the last two, it knows how long it takes to replenish. And so it it orders more, you know, it automatically shows up at your door and you're ready to go for the next day. So, I mean, that on a job site would be, would, would essentially kind of start to replace us. Don't you think like the, the, Hey Alexa, order me some more six inch recess trims. And it knows exactly which type they buy. They always buy six inch, 3000 K Sylvanias and it's go ahead and reorder it. So, so where does that really put us, you know, in the same competitive environment? Where does that put us moving forward? Well, I'll say this, the, uh, and and that may be something that could could really be a thing, but uh, that's actually not such a new thing. There there used to be a thing years ago where a salesman would call the people and say, "Hey, are you getting low on wire?" And yeah. They say, "Oh, I am. Why don't you send that out to me?" <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it actually works pretty well. I, Alexa, it works really well. Yeah, instead of saying, hey, Alexa, say, hey, Steve, I'm out of wire, you know, <laughs> just, exactly. just come by and add to it. That's funny. Yeah, my, I mean, I do think that it's going to be a slow process, but Amazon's really good at coming into industries and, and just taking them over. They started as a bookstore. Now look at all the things that they sell, you know what I mean? And they're okay doing that super low margins as long as there's volume to support it. They burn so much money, it's crazy just to get into in, into a market and, and dominate. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And I think, as a general rule, CED has uh, realized that technologically we're we're behind, and and, yeah. and as a company, we're doing a lot. Of, we're making a lot of steps to to catch up to the world, uh, because you know a, a few years ago, at the rate we were going, you know, it could have really turned detrimental for us very quickly. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe some point we'll, uh, be on an app and, and, and we can talk to Alexa and all that. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, we're hoping that there's a whole new generation of electricians coming up that are going to be more technologically inclined. Uh, but quite frankly, one of the issues that I hear most often is that it's very hard to find young people that are motivated to work, that are willing to get their hands dirty, that want to go out in the field and climb in attics when it's 100 degrees outside. I mean, you live in Texas. I live in Florida. It's hotter than hell outside, man. And, and kids would much rather sit at home and play video games or design video games or create an app or build a website online or, or quite frankly, do nothing, you know, and that's that's unfortunately kind of the worry of the industry is like, hey, is there going to be a whole new generation? And that's why... Part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, part of the reason I'm getting involved, more involved with social media is because there are people out there like NS Builders on, uh, on on Instagram that are are trying to make the industry cool again. You know, he's a, he's a master carpenter. He's a builder by trade. Uh, and so he's out there making video, making content, trying to make it cool so that people want to do these kind of jobs moving forward. Because if we don't do it, there may not be electricians moving forward. I mean, we, there, there might not be this big push of, of skilled labor that in America that that's built this country literally from the ground up yeah so uh uh the social social media uh you're targeting i'm guessing customers but are you targeting potential employees and things like that too yeah i mean i think you know at the end of the day it's all about getting the the word out there that 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 we are a company that is unique that that hires unique individuals that want to run their own business uh so i hopefully in, in showcasing that in a in a really relatable kind of cool way to the to the youth that they will be able to really pick up on like hey they're, they're, the culture of this company is amazing and that's one of the things i think that is is so under shown under underutilized underdeveloped is is showing ced's culture to mainstream america i mean to, to the kids that we see at career fairs they could see the video and think like oh that's really different than what i expected uh looks like you guys have a lot of fun while you're working looks like it's a cool environment a lot of interaction with customers you know, my, my division manager, Mike Shapiro, he might want to use it on the division website. Certainly customers could see like some of the products we have, just like how, how busy it is, how, you know, what, what the resources that we have, you know, at the same time, I think the competition could look at it and they could, they could certainly take information off of it. My whole thing is, I mean, I'll straight up tell the competitors what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it. And then I'll, I'll say like, Hey, keep up, you know, can you keep up? That's the whole thing. I'll give you the recipe to the to the the main dish that I'm going to create for you. I just don't think you're a good enough chef to make it. In fact, I'm willing to bet that you're not, and I'm willing to bet that I could out-execute you at the same recipe, you know, even though I've provided it for you. So that's kind of my whole thing is, like, put it all out there. Don't don't create any content. Just document what we're already doing uh, and, and show the world. I mean, that's what people want to see. You, you don't really have to create anything. You could just document what you're already doing on a day-to-day basis and I think that if it's, it's, if it's interesting enough, if it's good enough, people will watch it, they'll consume it, and, and it'll grow both with customers and with employees. I mean, every, I think everything's coming back to the phone. Man. Everything's being traded. All your attention is being traded through the phone right now. Like, uh, and so the more, the more we can be in front of customers in a local market, in a very small local market especially, the more they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know those guys. Or like, it's cool to see stores you go to on Facebook doing cool things. Or like I love I follow a couple of electricians on Instagram and they're always posting like cool videos and like troubleshooting stuff or like, you know, of course, you know, things that are aren't so good of like an, what the last electrician did that they had to show up and fix like things like that. Like and that's where a lot of attention is going is, is to those devices that's in everybody's pocket. 
And so we gotta we gotta compete too because if we don't do it, our our competition is definitely gonna do it. At the end of the day, like you, the game is either get disrupted by somebody else or find a way to disrupt yourself. And I want to be on the head of that curve. You know, I don't I don't know. I hope this industry is gonna be around for a long time, but I think it's kind of up to people in our position where we're on the border of both generations in order to uh, to make the change, to be the change that we need to see in the world and and to kind of drive it and push it. And CED's not going to tell us to do it, but they're also not going to stop us from doing it either. You know? Absolutely. Well, I think you're doing, I think having a podcast, I, I think it's a great thing. And I think, you know, to be able to reach people within our company, uh, outside of our company, but as electrical distributors or, or even, you know, contractors, your customers, uh, I think it's a good thing. Uh, one question I had for you is how are you measuring success with this podcast? Do you have any metrics that, that you set out? So it's, uh, it's very new. I think I'm on episode, this will be episode 16 by the time I cut it up and, and get it out. And the idea is to do one long format, uh, a one, once a week. Like this would be a long format, obviously, and then do two shorter formats of, that are about five to ten minutes. And the shorter formats are, you know, five to ten minutes, and it's about a topic that I feel strongly about, and I think about it, I take a note on it, and then I write a whole page out about it as an outline, and then I just jump on and do it, you know. And and it's something that I want to communicate to my team, something that I think other people could take, you know, take value from, whether you're in the industry or not. Honestly, you know, some of it was sense of urgency, some of it was service. Uh, one thing was about reliability and integrity. I mean, just you take any topic that you want to discuss or that you feel strongly about and you just put it out there and then anybody can hear it and hopefully it changes them for the better. You know, that's what it's all about. And to be honest, it's really, it's actually kind of difficult to know like who's listening and, you know, you can track the views to the website and, and the RSS feeds and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's so new that it's hard to grow without like, I don't know, I guess advertising it and pushing it down people's throat. It's more about like one-on-one, like our network. Um, uh-huh. Now, if this comes out and you like what you hear, you you share it, and then it goes to your network. And then, you know, my division manager found out about it not through me. I didn't even tell him about it. He found out through somebody else, like talking about it. Like, hey, Mike Shapiro, when are you going to be on the show? And he was like, what show? You know? <laughs> and he's like, hey, Mike, where do I find your podcast? And 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 so then it grew. Like, I just grew an audience member, and then he's going to promote it to his cir- circle of people or whatever. And then. You know, if it stays within the company, that's great. My my goal is to have twenty five percent of the guests be uh, CED slash other electrical supply house uh, employees, or um, the other twenty five percent being customers, and then vendors and reps, and then finally uh, people outside the industry, just to get a different perspective. Like I've had a guy come on and do a marketing hour. Uh, we just broke down some marketing techniques, some different ways to look at marketing, how to write copy. Um, all that stuff. So it's totally outside of the industry, but we found ways to relate it back, of course. And then the next guy I'm going to bring on is going to be talking about uh, networking, and he's a personal finance guy, but what he's really good at is networking, putting people together. And I know that doesn't really answer the metrics question, but if nothing else, I'm getting a lot out of it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm sure there's a way, oh, like, if, if you were ranking it, I'm, you know, you always see podcast ranks. Um, I uh-huh. just don't know how to do that. Yeah, I, You know, this is all new to me. I, when I first started to think of this idea i was like okay i was literally googling like how to start a podcast like what do you need like i, I didn't know anything about this i didn't know how to do an rss feed how to record how to do the sound editing how you know what technology we needed um the first time i, I recorded we weren't we thought we were using microphones but we weren't we were just it was just the microphone and the laptop picking it up it was terrible um but i learned 
I learned through failure. Like that's it. Like I learned through complete disasters and and through just messing things up a hundred times and and getting back up a time 101 and realizing like that's the only that's the best way to learn like now i can do this whole thing and edit it down and you know i used to have to run run to claimer and the commercial part the, the sponsorship part of it um like three or four times before i get a solid recording now i just do it right before i go into my short episode and it just flows and it's ready and it's good and um there's almost no editing to those anymore and that's awesome so you touched on something saying that, that you're bringing on people for marketing and, and personal finance and things of that nature. Uh, that's actually something we did a couple of years ago here. We had a series of classes uh, called Contractors University uh, where we brought in people. We brought in a QuickBooks expert. We brought in a expert that – or I taught a class on uh, like – uh, sales for the service truck or for the, you know, the, the service guy that's going out, how to, you know, how to present yourself, how to present your truck, how to uh, do sales and things like that. We had a personal finance guy. So uh, part of the QuickBooks was also an accounting class that we did, like a basics of accounting. We had uh, basics of credit uh, and brought our credit officer in to uh, kind of talk about how to pick your general contractors and, and, you know, how liens work and all that stuff. That's an amazing uh, idea. Yeah. You know, it really didn't go off well. <laughs> uh, we, we went, uh, went to a uh, graphics company that had banners printed, had signs printed, had pamphlets printed, uh, went to go and we basically had it set up like a, uh, you know, you could just sign up for individual classes. There was no charge or anything like that. Uh, basically you know, one of the things you see with small customers is they're great electricians, but they're not great business people. So we thought if we could, you know, make them a better business person, that, that these people that are two, three elect, electrician contractors can grow into the to the bigger, better uh, electrical contractors in the future. So we were kind of investing in their future and our future. Uh, and the attendance wasn't what we wanted, but I, I still think it's a good idea to uh, invest in people's future like that. That's an idea that I've actually never heard of uh, being done before. So that that's amazing right there. But also, it is hard to get people to sign up for. Like they they a typically if you run your own business, you have a type A personality. Like you have a little bit of that ego. Like who the hell are these guys to teach me something? You know, and like I know everything anyway, so I'm not gonna learn anything. I mean, just the idea that you guys are willing to take the time, energy, and, and invest in, and you know, probably probably paying those people to come in some in some situations to talk about it. Um, I mean, that's just that's just amazing you guys are willing to do that for your customers, but it's hard to get them to, to respond. I mean, I, I've rolled out programs where we've we've I have this whole pamphlet I rolled out of like, hey, we'll build your website. We'll create a logo for you if you don't have one. We'll do social media marketing for you. Like, I understand those principles and know how to do them really easily. Um, and the, I know these guys don't. And I did it for one customer and they loved it. And they were like, oh, well, yeah, we're going to update it now. We're going to put pictures on the website. I'm like, okay, cool. I just went on the other day and they haven't done a single thing to it since I set it up, you know, and they, it's just, it's frustrating because you want them to buy in. You, you want them to see the value in it, but everyone's busy, right? We, uh, I actually had a guy uh, uh, that I knew had been in business forever and I, I slid the, the, uh, the course outline across to him and I said, so what classes do you want to sign up for? And he looks at me and goes, I've been in business for 30 years. I already know everything. Yeah. And he slid it back. To me. And I said, that's fine. Two weeks later, uh, right after we did the credit course, he calls me yelling and screaming because we sent a lien notice out to uh, 
to his his contractor, and I you know I told him I said, look, Mike, if you would have came to the credit class, you would have known how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm sure that didn't go over very well. <laughs> But no, it's a, it's an amazing idea, and it just shows like like we have the power to do whatever. And I'm sure you can get vendors behind this, and you know maybe you could get this QuickBooks person to come back and be like, "Hey, I'm doing this course for free, and if you need help on it, here's something that I do like on the side." And and that's that's how we negotiated our prices was uh, basically you're giving a basics course, and they're going to have more questions, so. We're going to allow you – we actually – they wanted to charge us an obscene amount. And I said, okay, that's fine. We will pay that amount. However, you can't distribute business cards and you can't tell them what company you work for. And then they decided, well, maybe maybe we'll charge a little bit less. Uh, so so that was our, our idea was we're, we're going to bring in people that are experts in the field but that also have something to benefit from having these people as contacts. That's what it's all about is networking and, and – uh... They just picked up however many customers, you know, potential customers were in that room. And what's the lifetime value of that customer over five, Absolutely. ten years, you know? That's an amazing idea, man. Contractors University. So one thing I always uh, like to end with is just asking, you know, why do you do it? Why do you do all this? Why do you why do you come to work every day and, and work as hard as you do to make your store better and make your employees' lives better? Well, I think uh, our all of our – everybody in – my location either has a young family or, or has a family that's growing. And uh, I'm no exception. I've, I've got a wife, two kids, and, and we're literally on baby watch for our third kid right now. Nice. Uh, and, and, you know, I just want to, with, with my family, along with my parents and everything, I just want to, it, it drives me to, to make them proud and to give them a, uh, a, uh, a comfortable life and, and a life that I think, uh, my family deserves. Uh, so for me, I, I tell people this a lot. It, if, if it weren't for my family, none of us would be doing this. I, I think that that goes for a lot of people. You know, it, I do this for my family cause I love them and, and I want them to, uh, to have a good life. So that's what it boils down to for me. That's what it's all about, man. Having a strong why, you know, that good, that's, uh, that's what gets you up in the mornings and makes the hard days seem a little easier, you know, cause at the end of the day, you're like, I remember why I'm doing this, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I'll let you get back to it. But uh, thank you very much, man. Thanks for being on the Get Wire podcast. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Take you care, got, Mike. You got it. Take care. And that's the show. If you liked it, please let us know. Rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera. If you want to get a hold of us, if you've got any feedback for us, hit us up on any of your social media accounts, the Get Wire podcast is the, the the handle you'll find us on. If you got an email question, shoot us up an email at the, the Get Wired Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it.